0: The house, let me hear your bar, let me see your bite, let me see your scars. We know what we about. Come see us in the yard. This is war, go with the hearts. dogs in the house, 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 dogs in the house. Hello and welcome to All We Hear Is Purple, a very special addition to the third or fourth, most mediocre podcast in all of Husky football internet. Subscribe, rate, review our podcast wherever you do. And joining me tonight, it is Gaby Lucas. Gaby, this is the first time we've ever recorded a podcast about a coach getting fired. Uh, unless you count last week, which was mostly about a coach getting fired. Where does that put you emotionally?
1: Oh, oh, so, so um emotional. <laughs> no. Yeah. Sorry, I'm really distracted because my cat's, my cat is the zoomies and is going absolutely bonkers. So, uh, Dominic yeah.
0: Campton is your cat. What <laughs> Dominic Campton is your cat. Yeah.
1: Mike. Ca- oh, I should have named him Dom. Damn it. We had a, I had a, had a, had an opportunity. Didn't take it for that. I apologize.
0: <laughs> so I, since the last time we talked, obviously Jimmy Lake was officially fired. Uh, when we recorded last week, John Donovan had been fired. Jimmy Lake had been suspended. Definitely kind of got an inkling that Jimmy Lake was probably on his way out too, but it wasn't a sure thing until after the suspension ended earlier this week. So he is gone with a seven and six record in his career would have been seven and seven, except that his suspension game doesn't count against him. His only quote unquote full season was the pandemic year. He has all these weird idiosyncrasies in his stat line. Like he never coached against Washington state in an apple cup and so on. Was this firing I mean obviously the situation was weird there for a lot of reasons. Do you think this was too soon? Did he get a fair shake like what was your when we look back on this in a few years, what do you think the uh recollection of his tenure and the the firing is going to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, I don't think it was too soon in, in fact, I think doing i think holding on to it with because of the idea that like there is a definitive timeline that is should be the same for every coach that you just have to give them like I I think that would have caused a lot of damage but I I mean my takeaway is is just that you know he he'll I think I think he'll be a good head coach sometime and that and and that kind of makes this a little bit bittersweet I suppose but it's it's still a decision that had to be made you know
0: yeah. It's, it's kind of strange. I've heard people say that the sport has changed that college football in general, that things just happen faster. Coaches get fired faster. Mm-hmm. Coaches get promoted faster. Uh, you know, teams go from being bad to good faster and things like that. And I think there's some truth in that it's probably hard to quantify, but I do believe that the timelines generally are a little shorter pop, probably because teams are more, um, uh, savvy about using negative recruiting against each other and could probably point to this faster as a reason for why the program is falling down probably also because the media is more embedded in the teams than ever like obviously there were beat writers covering the team forever but there are now people like us and and blogs like ours and and other message boards that are uh hyper-scrutinizing every decision that's made within the program. So you just kind of get a narrative form faster. And I, I think you add that all up, and it it probably is easier to put all the data points together faster. So when you say, like we've reached this conclusion that he wasn't going to be successful here, or at least we couldn't afford to give him the extremely long amount of time it may have taken to get to be successful. I think that's probably true. Although I am at least a little bit sympathetic to the argument that like we didn't give him enough time to figure it out. I, you know, I, I, it's, it's very fuzzy. It's very hard to prove that. And I was ready to see him gone because I don't want to see the team playing like it has the last seven weeks or whatever. And that's enough for me right now. Go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say it's one on one hand, I think you're right that Timelines get sped up simply because of how much more people's voices are amplified. But I think more than that is like, if you're not in that little in group of uh, programs in like the sec, the soon to be sec, um, you know, Clemson, Ohio state, maybe, maybe Michigan kind of Notre Dame, you know, every game that you continue going downhill it becomes that harder to crawl out of simply because of how you know we've talked about this before. I've talked about this before, simply about how power and money and and all that is being consolidated over there. Um, so it's something where you really can't, you just can't afford to give people more time to figure things out than as you could in the past, like you know in the 80s or 90s or whatever, like. You know, um, I think, I think it was, was it Frank Beamer who <laughs> you look yeah. at his like first six years were just like ass and you just can't do that anymore because that's not, unless you are, I mean, I was going to say, unless you are like Alabama, but they wouldn't accept that because of their standards, you just, there's no flexibility for that. And it's kind of a sad reality, but that just is how it is
0: it is true and it's interesting you you mentioned beamer because i was already thinking about uh there was a, a interesting twitter thread started by joel anderson and then uh, bill Connolly kind of took it and ran from there about i think this was actually in response to justin fuente getting fired from virginia tech after much less time than frank beamer got in the past to turn the program around and this what Connolly was talking about was the structural uh financial implications That are more severe now in a shorter time period. Exactly. Yeah. That getting to the CFP even once or twice can really entrench the resources that your school has, the advantage it has over other teams in the conference. And the fact that uh, Clemson and Ohio State look like such monolithic, untoppable powers in their conference, even if Clemson's having a bit of a down year this year, has a lot to do with the fact that they happen to be the best teams when the CFP started, and there's so much money and exposure and press and media coverage coming along with that, that it's really, it's much more hard to overcome, to break into that tier than it was in the past, uh, yeah. which, you know, can have multiple effects. Maybe it's not what every school should be aspiring to because you end up chasing your own tail. Uh, on the other hand, I don't know what like the, the next best, uh, goal should be. I think that's kind of, we're at a a crossroads in college football as a whole. Like what is, what are teams, whatever it is, nine through 130 playing for at this point. And, you know, that's a separate discussion, but I think it does have an impact on, on the, the coaching search. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, One thing I'm curious about from your point of view is, do you think Jimmy Lake could have been successful here? Like, is there... A turning point early on where something broke against him, you know, whether it was the John Donovan hire or COVID kind of throwing a, a monkey wrench in the recruiting uh, process or something else that like little things that could have gone differently that would have set him on a path to success. Or do you think, like you were saying earlier, he just isn't kind of in the headspace professionally right now to be able to? self-critique and adapt fast enough to be a successful head coach?
1: I think it's kind of a, it's kind of, that's kind of a hard question to answer simply because it's like, you know, if he had done this and this and this differently, then he would be a good head coach here, you know? Um, but um, I mean, certainly I think maybe COVID etc., kind of sped things up. Although actually I could, I think there's an argument to be made, actually, that that the COVID year actually gave him um, kind of a less hot seat coming into this season than he would have had. You know, otherwise, if he had had like a full season, um, simply because we've seen how a full season plays out for him, and it doesn't look look good. You know, um, it, you look at like the 2020 year and having a three and one record, and with regression to the mean over a full season, if you look at like the projectable metrics from those games, like it easily could have been one and three or two and two. And then you look at that over the whole season, like if he has, if he takes over in a non COVID year and goes six and six, you know, then he would have entered 2021 on like a pretty hot seat and would have been fired anyway with this performance. So, I mean, this is all theoretical, so it's kind of moot kind of moot it's totally moot I I don't I don't know I don't think I don't I don't I don't think anybody could really with any certainty answer that because it's so there's just so many little critical junctures from his point or from his excuse me from his time at Washington whether you know it, maybe you want to even start back to when he was just a defensive backs coach you know the like what? What in his journey under Chris Peterson and even before them put him, gave him the propensity to do the things he did as a head coach, many of which ended up negative. Um, you know whether that was like perceived stubbornness or like stubbornness to the point of you know maybe being arrogance, not adapting, not looking at at maybe having an honest self-evaluation or program evaluation. So I think, I think the idea of like, oh, he could have, but, but is, I, I guess I just, in my mind, it's kind of a little bit moot because it feels all like, you know, if you want to look at all the different, different points in someone's life and professional career up to their point of getting their dream job or whatever, that, that could be like a whole series on its by itself so i mean i i think I, th- I think he's more likely to be a good head coach in the future now after having this slice of humble pie <laughs> which is unfortunate for washington because now we get to uh have been a part of his development instead yeah. of the benefactors of his of his development
0: yeah so yeah i think it, it's there's a, a bit of like revolving doors in this and you know we say like butterfly flaps its wings in asia could that have saved Lake's career somehow yeah. uh it, it, who knows i i do think you alluded to his stubbornness it seemed like he didn't come into the job without a plan he knew what he wanted to do he wanted to mm-hmm. run a pro style offense He wanted to keep the style of kind of base nickel defense that he'd been using. He wanted a rugged and physical, like straight ahead attack. And he wanted to kind of recruit in a way similar to what he'd been doing as a coordinator. He didn't seem to have a plan B. And he seemed kind of intransigent and hostile towards the idea of a plan B. And if somebody pointed out to him like, well, maybe you're not going to sign, you know, Benjamin Morrison to be the star defensive back in this recruiting class, or maybe, you know, all of the, uh, offensive coordinator candidates with NFL experience that you want, aren't interested in the job. And he's like, I don't care. I'm not offering a scholarship to another defensive back. I don't care. I'm not like, I'll go for the Jaguars assistant running backs coach. Like I, like, this is my plan. I'm not deviating from my plan. And that's a problem. And like, if that wasn't going to show up in his offensive coordinator hire or his first or second recruiting class, it would have shown up eventually mm-hmm. until he gets beyond that. I, I know we've talked before about this as a very high profile example being Nick Saban, even, even Nick Saban eventually got to the point where he was like, probably going to have to throw the ball 40 times a game. <laughs> and it, yeah. Like nothing goes more against somebody's, you know, a, a frontline head coaches, uh, bone structure than, than, you know, like a Midwestern ground and pound coach just acknowledging that they got to air the ball out. Yeah. He did it. And, and it didn't seem to me like at this point in his career, like it seemed like Lake publicly anyway, was not secure enough in his, you know, reputation or ability that he could deviate from that initial plan and still, you know, maintain his reputation or whatever and i've always kind of said like these we always have to go off of what we're seeing publicly it's very possible that he's behaving differently behind closed doors but the fact that he got fired by the person who sees him behind closed doors Mm -hmm. leads me to believe that it wasn't that different behind closed doors because if if he was you know privately taking responsibility for all of his gaffes and his on-field blunders and expressing a clear plan that he didn't want to talk about in press conferences. I don't think he would be fired right now. So I, like, I I believe it's probably pretty similar there.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think there's also something to be said about the irony of him being like really coveting that NFL, you know, what, the, what he learned from his time in the NFL really wanting to do a quote unquote pro style offense during this time where even the NFL now is realizing that you cannot just have, you can't play, just play Marty ball and win in modern football. Like that doesn't work. And so I just think this whole year and a half to almost two years thing is such another interesting case study in, I don't want to say hubris simply because that seems like such a stark word to use, but I just think there's something really interesting about, Like time and time and time and time again, no matter what, what, what industry, whether it's professional or political or whatever, like the thing that is the downfall of so many people, no matter how much of a genius they are or how good they are at what they do is, um, arrogance and hubris and not being, Willing to, or at least not appearing to be willing to um, take the advice and the points of view that might be valuable from other people with different experiences um, who might know what they're talking about, or at least even if they don't fully know what they're talking about, can still provide some positive input. It's just kind of bonkers to me that you see people have their downfall over and over and over again from that. And yet, still people are having their downfall from that. Like you would think after thousands of years of human history of this being the thing that brings everyone to their knees when they get to a certain point of power, like it feels like a mistake that as a human being, we, none, like none of us should have an excuse for it anymore. (laughs) Like, you know, Back to Julius Caesar, like it is, which I'm—I don't want to sound melodramatic, but I mean that was one of the things that I was holding on to with, with you know, even with kind of the weird COVID year and recruiting being down, was thinking like, well, okay, we Jimmy in his career has had failure, like early on when he was a UW DB coach, what 16 years ago or whatever, and sucked crap, and the whole everybody was fired and. He went off to the NFL, learned how to be better, came back, was good. Like, I, it seemed to me like you're a young, dynamic personality who's learned how to be really good at what they do. And not only that, but has learned how to be really good at what they do while experiencing, at least on a professional level, adversity of, you know, not always having that success that immediately comes to you. Cause it's one thing if, like, you've never failed or you've never, been fired or, or whatever but and and so to me it was like well based on the experiences we've seen from him and his the adaptability that he's shown in the past it made sense to me that he was going to be somebody that would be able to adapt in this scenario too and the fact that all signs point to absolutely the opposite of that like him being so inelastic and so stubborn to the point of what appears to be hubris is just, I mean, if, if I, if you had asked me to predict that two and a half years ago, that just, that, that is very bizarre to me, but here we are. Yeah,
0: here we are. Uh, one of the things, talk you a little bit about how this fits into the broader college football picture, uh, not specific to Jimmy Lake. But how do you think we should evaluate UW as a program, like in terms of what is an acceptable floor for what we're seeing from this team? Like, I think you have to take, obviously, a lot of other things into consideration. Like there's a version of Jimmy Lake going six and six in this season that we feel a lot better about if he's killing it and recruiting and, you know.
1: And his wins don't look so terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if, (laughs) if the losses were all close losses and of that seemed unlucky as opposed to like way closer than they should have been. And the wins were all blowouts. Um, And if, for example, he didn't say academically prowess and shove a player or whatever, like just all, like all the things that kind of added up, but I even taking it away from like generally, what do you think we should be, how should we be evaluating the next coach or just a coach in a vacuum uh, so we don't kind of end up on the Nebraska, Tennessee, FSU mm. hamster wheel of mediocrity where every three years we're saying like, we're not number in the top five in the country yet. We didn't win 10 games under this new coach. So we got to start over. It's just not working out with this guy. Uh, like, I, I guess I, I'd give you a little bit more context for this. One of my friends was, who's not a Washington fan, was appalled at the idea that we would fire like this early in his tenure saying, he's still learning. He, he didn't, he's still figuring things out. How can you expect somebody to be this good this early in their tenure? I think there are a lot of answers to that, but just as a general idea, why is that attitude wrong about Lake and, and our program?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but not every new coach is walking into a position where they should be evaluated the same, like, you know, so (laughs) Steve Sarkeesian walked into about as different of a position than as than Chris Peterson. You know, if we evaluated those two the same, um, that like, that's insane. I, I mean, you look at the, you, you, you look at the, the everything that Jimmy like inherited, it was like perfectly, everything was in place for him to take over and, and just like, and just crush it. So it's not like he's taking over some, he was taking over some like ultra dysfunctional program with a really imbalanced roster that has like, you know, a bunch of four-star receivers and six offensive linemen on, on, on scholarship, you know, like that's not, he, I mean, when you're handpicked by a generational head coach to take over for him with a roster that is, exceptionally talented, especially because, you know, when you were looking at the 2018, 2019, uh, 2020 classes, like that is when they really took that next step. And, um, and, and you take all of that and pretty much just burn it to the ground. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter that it was 13 games. Uh, if, if you're looking at the, like not, not all wins and losses are created equal. Not all new coaches are created equal. Not all new tenures are created equal. Um, you can't just evaluate them by saying like that we have this idea that like year three like that's the year when you're gonna know but you can't just put that as the baseline for for everyone because everyone isn't walking into the same situation and i ironically i do agree like i think that that's that's something that that nebraska and texas and all that like they've gotten into that cycle although a lot of that i mean texas is just a clusterfuck but (laughs) meddling of meddling shenanigans it's that's like
0: storyline like all happy families are like all dysfunctional all fired texas coaches are fired for totally unique reasons
1: yeah 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 (laughs) but yeah i mean there's plenty of yeah if, if in most situations i will give your friend this in most situations firing your new head coach after 13 games is probably not the right decision but most new head coaches don't walk into the situation that Jimmy Lake did. I mean, for example, if I was head, if I was handpicked by Chris Peterson to run the program after he retired, I would do worse than Jimmy Lake. Well, maybe not, but um, I would do very badly. But the idea that someone would be like, "Wait, she hasn't been given enough time yet," no, I would have been given enough time. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just not. You can't evaluate everything on the same on the same piece of paper.
0: I do think a lot of the cognitive dissonance that we're experiencing all like anybody who's put thought into what has gone wrong. Uh, comes from the fact that Chris Peterson handpicked Jimmy Lake. And we're yeah. all like just appalled that somebody who seems to have such good judgment and honestly, a very good coaching tree. Like so many of the people who developed under him have gone on to be really good coordinators and often good head coaches. i like, you look around the country, like Andy Avalos and uh oh, Harson. Harson, I was saying Brian Hartline, that's the old Ohio <laughs> State receiver, <laughs> yeah. Harson, uh, and a handful of others have been either excellent coordinators, solid head coaches. It seems like he understands this stuff, and he just got this one really wrong. I mean, it would be fascinating to hook him up to a polygraph and kind of like figure out what he was wrong about in Lake's case. We're never going to hear this story. It, it you know, it's just not going to happen, but it, I would love to know because that remains the most confusing part of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break there. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about what is still, uh, watchable for the rest of the Husky season, and why to still care as well as our perspectives and, uh, all of our, incredibly deep insider knowledge of the coaching search. But first, we are once again sponsored by Home Field Apparel. Uh we've talked about Home Field week after week in their great uh retro college apparel, vintage apparel. They are running a Black Friday sale starting November 26th and running through November 29th. Also known in the business as Black Friday through Cyber Monday or in some circles as Turkey 5. Uh, All items will be 20% off for the duration of the sale with no code needed, which is a pretty good deal. And all items are uh, subject to being sold out. And they're also reportedly experiencing some of the same uh, shipping and supply chain constraints that the rest of the world is because they are part of the world. So they're encouraging (laughs) early, especially if uh, you want to use these as a holiday gift. Uh, They have gift cards available as part of that. So they do make good gifts. I think I mentioned before that I I bought one of these uh, North Dakota State uh, vintage shirts for my dad as a Christmas gift, but decided not to wait and give it to him while the football season was still going on. So what's stopping you from doing that? If you wait till uh, Christmas to give somebody their uh, home field football t-shirt, it'll be too late unless you're uh, in a New Year's Day bowl game or something. So just buy it now and give it to them over Thanksgiving and you've uh, killed two birds with one stone. So uh, okay. we have another a recorded ad. So listen to that and we will be right back. Thanks for sticking with us. I mentioned before the break that I wanted to talk a little bit about things that are still watchable uh, for the rest of the Husky season. I was reading through some of the comments on one of the, the posts I made earlier this week on one of the our blog uh, posts about the coaching search. And somebody made a comment that was just like, I just want to highlight the players and just say that they're still working really hard and have this one line of posts not be about coaches. And I thought, like, maybe a little uh, simple, but also a fair point that (laughs) we spent so much time talking about one thing. You kind of lose sight of the larger uh, forest for the trees kind of thing. I do think there are a few things left in this team that are still interesting and worth watching for the rest of the year and I want to get your take on this too but just the things that jump out to me right away are the quarterback position it seems like we're going to get to see more Sam Heward maybe not all of the remaining games because or both of the remaining games to preserve his red shirt but I'd love to see him for more than just an uh, awkward cameo where he gets to take like three snaps I'm interested in seeing if with Lake formally out, we see any structural differences in the defensive front and which players are going to be uh, important and who continues to develop because we've seen so many new faces playing both on the line at and at interior linebacker. And I also, I, I've seen a lot of development on the offensive line through the year. It's actually one of the only things that has been kind of uh, has had a positive trajectory that the offensive line has looked better as the season has gone on than it did in a couple of terrible performances earlier in the year. And I'm excited to see if that can continue. And then also, the Apple Cup is always fun and there are real stakes in it this year. And it's going to be a super weird game with interim coaches, but it feels like it's going to be competitive and it's not going to be another 40 to 10 beatdown as it was for like eight straight years. And that should be interesting and the game matters. Uh, Anything you want to add to this list of just things that are still worth caring about with this team, even in flux right now?
1: Well, I, you know, who knows if ZTF will be gone to the NFL next year, what with having such a bizarre season, but personally, I mean, he's just so fun to watch both because, you know, he's good at what he does and he just seems like he, he is so happy when just play just when he's playing, like having that always, like dancing around and having that smile on his face that I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch, I'm going to watch this. And just, just to see that kid be so joyful, which might sound really corny, but you know what? Fuck it. Oh, dang it. I mean, is- this long without swearing.
0: <laughs> That's a great point. I, I, he's very joyful to watch play. Uh, One of the most fun players I've seen in quite a while. And if he goes down as, you know, from his breakout, Till the end of his career were the four COVID games where he just ripped through everyone. And then this year looking good at times, but clearly still regaining full strength coming off the Achilles injury and only getting to play limited downs uh, and, you know, playing like three or four more games, it would be, really sad if that was all we got to see of him for his career, but I think we'll get to watch him for quite a while at the next level too. So, um, it's not all over for him. And I, I, I totally agree with you. It'd be fun to watch. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about where we stand with what we know so far in our coaching search, what your opinions are, I, I kind of want to start with the, the name that's probably been connected to the job most often, notably by a high profile media member in the Bay area is Justin Wilcox. Uh, I, I you know, we talked a little bit about him as a candidate last week. I just reading through social media and through the comments and everything, people are really down on Justin Wilcox as a potential head coach. Do you think that's just like the tyranny of high expectations that, we want something exciting uh, because Lake had been kind of depressing or is there something else? Like, why are people so down on Justin Wilcox who's been pretty good as a head coach?
1: I mean, I think part of it is he's just, he's not, I mean, he's just not, he's not, like you said, he's not very exciting. Um, and I think, I mean, we talked about this last week that he, he pretty clearly has, he has a you know, has a pretty limited ceiling or at least, he does until he shows that he can hire a, an offensive coordinator that can get consistently, you know, can can score, have their team consistently scoring a lot of points. I I think I feel the way about Wilcox. I think he's a good guy to come in and bring stability to a program, kind of like a a defensive version of Sark kind of, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I, I I find it pretty hard to believe that at least at this point in his in his career, that he's somebody who can kind of have a team take that next step, especially when you're looking at like UW's roster composition and the talent that's there. I think you you need to try to shoot for for achieving more with that talent than I think you would get with him. Although for you know, for what it's worth, if he is like their safety, I think he's a good like safety hire. (laughs) But like, ideally, you don't have to get to that point anyway, <laughs> you know. Because um, I mean, for what it's worth, yeah, it's full credit to him. He has made the Cal football program much more stable. He's given them a much better foundation than Sonny Dykes did before them. But um, and and he's increased their talent level, um, certainly in on the defensive side, um, especially in the defensive backs, um, like a lot. But but yeah, I think until 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 he proves that he can get someone that can really just, and and whether it's him micromanaging the offensive side of the ball or him just not hiring the right people or just him not having coaches develop players on the offensive side of the ball, that can execute their schemes. Well, I, I think his ceiling is pretty limited, but I also, not I don't really think I'm not putting that much stock into those rumors because it really feels like John Wilner and, and Wilcox or Wilcox's agent or whatever are kind of like, again, we talked about this last week. It really feels like they're just trying to get him a pay raise.
0: Yeah. I think that's, or, or, you know, get his name on the market for other jobs that might come open. That might be more desirable than Cal. I I do think, I, I feel like he's certainly not a home run hire, but he's the kind of guy, like we were talking earlier about like what should be the baseline expectation for the program. I feel pretty comfortable that he could hit that baseline like really never win between seven and nine games every year. Um, Maybe occasionally put together a, a really good team and, and get to the conference title game. Maybe win the PAC 12, you know, once every eight years or something. Uh, yeah, but that's not. On, yeah, it's probably sorry. not good enough. That, that, that's, that's not, not what not good you enough. aim for. That's <laughs> not what you aim for. But if he, if you hired somebody with a higher ceiling and they delivered that, you'd probably be like, He's all right, you know, but you don't, you don't like want that as your plan a, um, Yeah. and if you were going to hire him, you would absolutely have to come with kind of like a top of the line, offensive coordinator as part of a package. Cause it, you're right. Like he has clear strengths. His, he has recruited well at Cal, which is surprising. Um, uh, and he has had really good, uh, and interesting dynamic defenses. And not every coach has a brand like that. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a point in his favor. He also has clear weaknesses. Like we were talking earlier about Lake, like it's uh, his problem is a accumulation of weaknesses. Like it wasn't easy to see what the one carrying skill was, what the one foundational strength was. It's very easy with Wilcox. At least there's that much I get. It's not right. Not fair to say like, Hey, he's better than what we had before. So we should take him. At the same time, I, I think people are being a little bit harder on him than is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I feel um, like yeah. oh go on. No, that's finish up on that oh, one. Right. I'll, I'll... Well, I was just
1: gonna say, yeah, I feel like the magnitude of disapproval of Justin Wilcox on Twitter, etc., is like a little bit maybe too strong for justification. But yeah, if if you're Washington and you're hiring a guy that reasonably is probably gonna max you out at like nine wins and like maybe ten occasion occasionally. Um, I mean, you are pretty clearly, like, one of the top, one of the schools in the Pac-12 with the most resources. Like, if you're only going to a Pac-12 championship every six or five years, that's not, like, that's not, that's not good enough considering how much of a resource advantage you have over, like, Wazoo, Oregon State, (laughs) Cal, like, I mean, Stanford. We don't know exactly what their resources are, simply because they're a private school, so we don't have the same, you know, like FOIA like knowledge into their. Well, they supposedly
0: paying David Shaw ten million dollars a year, so yeah, pretty yeah. good amount. It seems like yeah,
1: but Stanford's just like such a fucking weird case. Like, yeah. realistically, either Washington or Oregon should be winning the Pac-12 North every year. And you know, if you're if you're Washington, and you're just like, well, well, maybe we'll get it when they're not doing good. Like that's not, that is, that is a pretty shitty mentality to have. Dang it. I swore again. I really was going to try to do it the whole time without, um, <laughs> but yeah. So, but I don't know, you know, maybe one day if Wilcox can figure out how to field a good, like a, a consistently good offense, I should say, then, then I think he would be great, but you know, we have no evidence of that. So. Yeah. I, I think
0: the, the part that has been surprising to me is, like for example, Max did a survey of who, you know, who people would be most excited about. And there was a big gap uh, between Wilcox on the low end and, and Jonathan Smith, who I don't see a huge difference between them as candidates. Smith, obviously the, the the difference being that the strengths that Wilcox has defensively are Smith's offensive strengths. Um, But other than that, like they both have, Questionable resumes at the school where they're coaching currently. Um, Smith is on a uh, slightly better upswing right now, whereas Wilcox was there a couple of years ago and has had more problems since then. But a lot of those problems have had to deal with local COVID protocols. I I think all the points that you made are true, and I agree with them. I, I just uh, have been a little bit miffed and surprised by the the just the vitriol that is targeted specifically at Wilcox.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Uh, It
0: seems like there are a lot of other unexciting coaching candidates who nobody seems to care about, but everybody's really fired up about this. I
1: I think, I think it all just comes down to the fact that his name keeps getting peddled by Wilner. And so it's just like, he's like the one that's most visible and everyone's like, well, we don't want that. (laughs) But I mean, for what it's worth, if we're going to have actually now that I'm thinking about it, like I couldn't be persuaded otherwise, but I think if we're going for talking about like who your safety option should be, like, I'd rather have Jonathan Smith than, I think than than Cal. I mean, because for what it's worth, or than Cal than Wilcox. Because <laughs> I mean, Will, uh, Wilcox laid a really strong foundation at Cal. That based on what he inherited, but um, I feel like Jonathan Smith inherited. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying anything controversial here. Jonathan Smith inherited a way worse scenario, which is saying something. Like they were a dumpster fire of a program. Um, on like every level when he took them over and, and not only has he, I mean, made them offensively quite, you know, interesting, but, but his, their defense has also been, I mean, has also improved. Obviously they're not a leader or anything, but they've taken steps pretty much every year. Um, and don't look like they've necessarily plateaued there yet. And like, when you, when you look at his, the, I feel like he's a much more balanced option who can also field an offense against score points than Wilcox. And he's a much more, he's shown more from an even greater disadvantage.
0: Yeah. I think I'd prefer him too. I think I, it'd be a little bit closer in my mind than what you're describing. Cause I, I think Smith got a lot of good press for starting strong against the weak part of Oregon State's schedule this year. And they've significantly come back to earth and they look like, yes, he has built a foundation at a school that was pretty bereft, but that foundation is, like, kind of what Sark did to Willingham's program. Um, and I'm not yeah, really interested that's in true. hiring Sark again.
1: Um, yeah, I get the sense though. I mean, and you know, I don't have any actual like sourced evidence for this, but I, I do feel like Jonathan Smith has a higher ceiling than what like 2009 Sark did. And frankly, looking at Texas 2021 Sark, too, <laughs> like, I think if you put them like it all else held constant and put them. In like alternate universes of the same program, I think I would trust Jonathan Smith more. Although it really depends on the scenario. So, yeah, that's, that's, I guess
0: Smith has more head coaching experience now than Sark did at that point. But yeah, um, but even now, uh,
1: like, I
0: don't know. Yeah. Smith is now, Smith is at the point now that Sark was in 2014 when he left for uh, USC. And I think that's a who would you rather have as your coach would be an interesting hypothetical 2014 Sark or current. Jonathan Smith. And I I might agree with you. I was not heartbroken when Sark left. Yeah. Uh, And I think
1: also one of the, I mean, again, like back to the whole Jimmy likes downfall uh, being a a cluster of many different little weaknesses that all seem to point back to hubris. I mean, like that was Sark's thing too, is like not paying attention to details, um, not seemingly being too arrogant to have any, you know, introspection about like, what could I do better? (laughs) And I get, I, I feel like you know, I don't know. I just get the sense from Jonathan Smith that he's more flexible.
0: Yeah, possibly. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the field of candidates. Uh, I, I want to ask you kind of on the two ends, both of um, what you expect and what you hope, starting off with of the, the names that you've heard connected uh, to this opening. And if anybody who wants to kind of look at it, more extensive list. We have a few different posts on UW Dog Pound that Max put together a big board. I did some analysis of most of the prospective candidates by things that they have done uh, on the recruiting trail, their previous jobs. I, of the people who have just kind of been generally uh, connected to the, pro- to, the, to the job, who is most exciting to you? Like, who would you like jump out of your seat for if they were announced? You found out they were negotiating or whatever.
1: Oh man, that is that is really difficult because i feel like i feel like there's a lot of theoretical candidates that is that they're like really exciting if and with like one caveat like i mean for example bob stoops the name the fact that bob stoops name is being peddled around i'm like <laughs> Like I'm really, I'm really skeptical of that, but it. I mean, yeah, um, I, don't, I, I don't. I can't
0: tell. Have you seen that sourced, or is it just kind of like idle speculation? I don't even know that fans are like, seen, he doesn't I've have a job. So many
1: different things from everywhere that yeah. I'm like, I, I, I get it. I, you know, it's all getting mixed up in my brain. Um, and I think it was Kirk in our little writers chat mentioned like, yeah, if this is Bob Stoops from 2011, then like, freaking obviously, <laughs> but. Yeah. Like it same similarly if this is Chris Peterson from five years ago, obviously. But that's not, you know, they're he retired early for a reason. Um um, and then and then you have like a guy like Matt Campbell, who it, it I mean, Iowa state- Iowa state is probably institutionally the hardest power five job in the country, right? Um and it'd
0: be I mean the candidates would be them, Kansas. Wakefield. uh maybe oregon state uh
1: no at least oregon state has like uh oregon state at least has Vanderbilt. some history and so yeah maybe Vanderbilt. i don't know but it's I mean, out
0: there it's in the he, bottom i mean five. they hadn't
1: had a first round draft pick since like 1978 or something insane
0: oh god is that true
1: <laughs> yeah up until like what a year two years ago or whatever they're running back i forget his name was he but, a first round draft pick? I think, not anyway, Not a, not a first, no, no, not the running back. Oh shoot. I forgot. Um, but, but then, you know, he also has seemed like he has kind of plateaued there a little bit, which on one hand, you know, it's Iowa state, like you cannot win a national. I mean, I don't want to say it for sure, but like until they have been at a certain level for like a very like decades, like they're not, you know, you can't really win a national championship there or whatever because like there they just you know at a certain point your talent level hits their peak of what they are performing and they still can't overcome you know what they have to I mean that's it was 2016 Washington against Alabama like they outperformed their talent their raw talent level every pretty much everyone did on that team but at the end of the day you still have to play Alabama you know and so that's kind of how I'm trying to dissect Matt Campbell is like Is this because you is because he has hit his ceiling, or is it because, and 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 the ceiling of him with the instant with the resources that Iowa State has to attract the talent they have to both um you know assistance wise and for player talent level, um, and so like trying to balance out you know say a nine wins is is his ceiling there, and he's kind of bounced since he hit nine wins he's bounced I think to nine then eight and then they're at like six and four right now I think Mm -hmm. like how does that that if you're looking at that there that probably translates to bouncing around between like probably the occasional one loss season here probably usually like I would guess anywhere between like going on average between like eight wins to 11 wins but like you don't that that's assuming that the talent level from Iowa State to Washington is going to correlate directly with like those increased winds, and that it's not his own personal plateau, you know? So, so seeing that plateau the last few years is kind of, it's not like making me cold on him or anything, but it, it means that there are, there, it isn't a sure thing. I think Billy Napier is really interesting um, because obviously not power five, but Louisiana has (laughs) similarly, similarly, been um a disadvantaged institution as far as like what you can achieve football wise there um not to be confused with louisiana state um but i i don't think i don't think he's coming anywhere over here obviously the one guy who's like the most exciting would be luke fickle but he's that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. I think for me,
0: it is Campbell. Um, I, I yeah, think the point I think so you too. made about the the record is fair. Uh, although, you know, maybe having a three, you know, a one possession loss on the road to Texas tech and West Virginia this year actually puts him in our bracket of guys. We could reasonably get
1: that actually and, is kind of awesome. Yeah.
0: Like I, and those, those losses, I mean, that's going to happen.
1: Like
0: yeah, you coming into the year, it seemed like, He was the guy for next time, you know, Penn state or Michigan state or Wisconsin or whatever opened up. They were just like, go pay him $8 million a year. yeah. And maybe this is makes him more willing to a leave Iowa state and say, like, I really have reached the peak of what the recruit, the the peak of how good this team can be with the players who are willing to come play here in this place. And, you know, he, I think the, what he did to recruiting at Iowa State compared to where they had been, even when they were relatively successful a decade ago with Gene Chizik, a decade plus ago, I guess it's well over a decade at this point, is a huge improvement. Uh, and, and like that's you kind of schools kind of recruit to their level to some degree, and he has improved what that baseline is.
1: And yeah, he doesn't definitely. need to
0: improve on what UW's baseline is. He needs to. Just perform in the upper part of the range of what Udo was already doing with Chris Peterson, uh, which was, you know, getting into the teens in national rankings. And that's absolutely good enough to win the conference. And I've watched a fair amount of Iowa State uh, over the last couple of years. As you may recall, uh, when it looked like the Pac 12 was going to be canceled last year, I campaigned for us to just become an Iowa State blog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think any of those. And it was a total random pick at the time. I was kind of picking like the most anonymous team in the country. Yeah. And they've like really improved a great deal since then and uh the, i think a lot of it he's just a very sound coach like yeah. his feel for games his game planning his play calling his kind of like just the design of the offense and how he puts together a game plan is very very like obviously has a leg up almost every time they go on the field uh and i felt that way about chris peterson when he was at boise i felt that way when he came to UW. I feel like at any given time, there were like five coaches in the country who that applies to. And I think Campbell is one of them. Uh, And if we could get him, I like, I get that they, they haven't been perfect this year. I I would be over the moon if we were able to get him.
1: I I definitely agree. Like, like I, you know, I I was giving some caveats, but I think if there's somebody who I feel like is the most solid, it it would be him because I feel like, and I, I wrote about this in this week's. Steph and shenanigans that um, a lot of times there's like big names who are big names because they were at a high profile position, but they are available for a reason (laughs) or they're Nick Saban. And like, (laughs) and so usually with so many of those guys, like you, they, they have a very easily identifiable ceiling but they're a big name. And then what ends up happening is like you, schools pay a shitload of money for them. And then they like max out at nine wins every year and then they get, you know, and then they get canned and then you have to pay a crap load in the buyout. And it's just like this self-perpetuating cycle. Um, I think, I think Matt Campbell is the one who I am most, definitely most intrigued by. Um, I don't, I think he's kind of, I think, and I think, I think he really is similar to Chris Peterson in that way where you're, you're talking about, you know, they're always, they don't, they don't just – they really don't tend to just, like, ever crap the bed. Like, they're always solid. And I think it It feels to me like he also seems to have kind of a similar vibe going where I wouldn't be shocked if he stays at Iowa State for a very long time, just like Peterson did at Boise. Just because – and I, th- I think – I don't think that's a coincidence that, like, he – is as good as he is at a place that hasn't seen success in decades or ever. Uh, <laughs> um, having kind of this more atypical personality and approach to college football coaching, but that doesn't mean that UW shouldn't go after him. I think they should. Yeah. You have, you have any AD who doesn't go after Matt Campbell um, is not doing their job.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, so take that, take away the, uh, pie in the sky options, or maybe it's not pie in the sky. Maybe it's realistic and uh, desirable, but who do you think like putting on your prognostication hat Um, uh, what do you think is the end of this process? Who do you think we ultimately will hire? If you just have to make a guess.
1: I think Kaelin DeBoer is an interesting look guy to look at, Um, especially cause you know, there's with all the um, power five openings this year. And um, the amount of intriguing, I should say, coaches in the group of five. This is, it's. I think this is a really, really hard thing to predict. I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think DeBoer is somebody who I wouldn't be super shocked if we end up with um, over at Fresno. I think people are bringing up Tom Herman, and that is like the last thing in the world I want. <laughs> um, um just because i mean talk about like uh having a pretty ingrained ceiling it looks like and also being a douchebag who makes <laughs> who makes a uh, uh, high schools tend to not or you know local who tends to not be able to uh make himself well loved to the local talent producers necessarily oh uh, I really, I mean, I, I, I know I'm, should, I'm supposed to like come up with something and have something to say, but I, I really, I mean, looking at, looking at, thinking of some of my own options and looking at like our little fan survey, I, I re, there isn't one guy that I'm like, oh, that definitely is the most, the biggest combination of realistic and high achieving. Um, I, 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 for what it's worth, I think I think PJ Fleck is actually kind of an interesting option, hmm. although he has in no way been tied to anything. Even there hasn't even been rumors, or no, I don't even think anyone's even speculated. Hey, maybe we should. Um But he was he's been kind of interesting at Minnesota. I mean,
0: boats, lakes, rowing boats, a natural connection there.
1: There we go. Hey, and last time Minnesota won a national championship, we also did. So <laughs> um,
0: while well, you were talking. One, I was looking up Iowa State facts while you were talking. Mm-hmm. I was also listening, but also looking up Iowa no, State facts. No, you shouldn't listen. Uh, they had, they have not broken the streak from 1973 of not having a first round draft. Pick. Oh, really?
1: Oh, I think uh, they did.
0: They did have a third rounder two years ago, and that was the running back David Montgomery, but not a first rounder. So we'll see if that changes. The other Iowa State fact is they're currently on a run under Campbell of five straight winning seasons. The last time they had at least five straight winning seasons was in the aughts. But the 19 aughts, it was from uh, 1902 to 1909 they had winning seasons. It was the last time yeah. they had five straight winning seasons.
1: Yeah, putting and they were in something called
0: the MVIAA.
1: Mount, Missouri, Missouri Valley, Valley
0: Intercollegiate Athletic Association. Okay, oh, that's what yeah, it is. Call
1: it that. Yeah, I mean, if we can get them. You know, at, at, I'm going to say, hopefully them plateauing a little bit makes him both a less super super attractive to other openings and be more likely to want to in the words of tina fey go to there there being Montlake, because yeah he's definitely the one guy who i feel most certain in. like you hire him you will not you will be good um yeah
0: it's yeah, just a matter I... of
1: how good if it's you know gonna peak it generally around 10 wins or go to the playoff every once in a while
0: the one thing with Fleck that I think is uh, not to you know circle back to the middle mm-hmm. of the last answer, but yeah, we're all one. doing that. Yeah, uh, I, I I believe he just re-upped with Minnesota after flirting with USC. I think and you're I, right. Yeah, I think they they offered him over five million a year, which seems like as a baseline. If we're, we have to top that by enough to get him to leave and pay a buyout, that might be challenging. I don't know. We could end up paying somebody more than that, but probably not. Somebody who just signed a long-term contract who presumably also has a large buyout because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think is a good coach. He's a self-promoter and a good coach, which is you know often yeah. one or the other, but in his case, he's, he's both. Yeah. Um, I think you you mentioned DeBoer. I, I feel like he's kind of the the simplest pick. Yeah, I agree. Kind of like the Occam's razor answer to this, which is usually not a dumb way to go. Uh, one, I don't think we're hiring another coordinator. He has head coaching experience. He actually has a decent amount of it at lower levels, like NAIA level. He was really good, (laughs) which I don't care about, but it is head coaching experience. Uh, and two, he, like, it does seem like if you compare him to Wilcox, like their median result that you would expect might not be that different, but DeBoer has a much higher ceiling like yeah he has he has not established himself as kind of the high floor guy where it's like well you know you're at least getting a 500 record like he could crash and burn but he could be spectacular and the early returns at Fresno have been great so you know that might be awesome yeah and and you know somewhat right region like all these little things like the experience the offensive mind I all kind of seem to work for him So he'd be a decent compromise candidate. So that that would be a good answer. But I I do hope we end up with somebody a little bit more certain to be great than him. Um, Yeah. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Any final thoughts
0: on where we are for for coaching or should we wrap up and move over to our uh, plugs?
1: We should wrap up because there's no way I'm going to provide any any more insightful thoughts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do you have to plug this evening?
1: Oh, I thought about this oh i i rediscovered travel man have i plugged it before i don't
0: think so it doesn't sound familiar
1: it's um it's a show with richard ayawade uh also known as moss from the it crowd he uh spends 48 hours of uh thrill packed sightseeing in a different city um every episode with a different usually comedian sometimes just other people who happen to not be terrible. He does like Helsinki with Paul Rudd, for example. 48 hours in Helsinki with Paul Rudd. <laughs> um 48 Hours in Berlin with Rasheen Conedy. Uh Noel Fielding. I think he goes to shit, where does he go to he might go to Stockholm with Noel? It's just like it's really it's kind of a fun little like mini combination of like kind of comedy, but also a little travelogue. Um, at one point, he he goes to Moscow with I think Greg Davies, and they watch like a cat. Uh, it's like a cat ballet or a cat circus or something. Just like they do like these absolutely ridiculous little uh, sightseeing or like different activities in these different cities. And it's just it's like if you want something that's like nice and fun and a little bit escapist and not you know and just kind of silly. And also like a little bit jaded, like at no point, unlike most travelogues where the, the host is just enamored with every location and whatever. He, he, he doesn't like, he's not like shitting on anywhere, but the whole time he's like, what is happening? Like everything they do, a little bit jaded, um, which is nice because I can't deal with too much unending positivity in 2021. Um, that's not <laughs> my, it's not like a thing. Um, yeah everybody
0: deals with stress differently mm-hmm. and uh just wanting to be cheered up not always the best solution
1: yeah oh well uh, i do want to be cheered up i just <laughs> like nothing dark but also nothing too happy
0: yeah <laughs> just maintain maintain
1: the noise of the static on a tv or it's radio in the snow yeah mm-hmm.
0: um I, I this is again i i well i started reading uh an 1800 page um That's history of, of um uh, it's called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It's supposed to be oh, the best. I know that book. Uh, yeah, it's it's like the definitive uh, Nazi history book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but its I, I've been wanting to read it. It's been like on a list for like five years to read, uh, but it's 1,800 pages long. So I just never actually got there uh, until now. So I, I probably don't have any books to recommend for like the next uh, three months because it's going to take me that long <laughs> to read it. Uh, so this, in the last week, I rewatched the Kill Bill movies. Uh, which Mm. are 20 years old, but I'd forgotten. Like, I think of them as just, like, gore. Like, four hours of just splattering blood everywhere. They're better movies than I remembered them being. They're, like, very tightly put together. The storytelling is super direct. There aren't any side plots. Mm -hmm. But the story is more interesting than I remembered. And, obviously, Quentin Tarantino writes super interesting dialogue. And, yes, the action and the fight sequences are, like, eye-catching but the movies as a whole are it's hard to take your eyes off of them uh Mm -hmm. and and that's not true for most movies so um they're both they're both available right now i think it's on hbo uh if you have hbo max or go or whatever the hbo thing is you can stream them now for free but really 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 good movies um kind of hadn't thought about them in a while so if even if if you've never seen them or if you just haven't watched them in 10 years or something extremely good movies (laughs) Um, yeah. And that's it. Any, anything else? Oh, you know, what we forgot to talk about, we forgot to talk about head coaching candidacy of Cody Pickett.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I'll, I mean, it, that's because it goes without saying that that's our number one choice.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, that's the, that is the most realistic and the best option.
1: Plus no buyout for Eagle <laughs> high school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might have to buy out his, uh, like rodeo team. That's true. They might Damn have it. Yeah or maybe they just let him do that on the side. Maybe it's like a recruiting tool that yeah, like,
1: yeah. That's like a good recruiting thing. Like, hey, come play football and then also in the off season you can train by getting bucked off a, a cow.
0: <laughs> People thought Jimmy Lake played too much golf. Well, he's going to ride a cow.
1: Mhm. This one's exciting. All right. Well, we had a lot to
0: talk about this week and also nothing to talk about. Uh, we didn't even mention that the Huskies play Colorado this week, and that's fine. Eh, uh, maybe we'll talk about it next week. Maybe we won't. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and go, dogs. Go, dogs.